0: Good morning, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, You guys look incredible. You look like you're ready. Uh, I hope you are. Maybe looks can be deceiving a little bit, but I'm excited about this morning. I'm going to share with you today one of my favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible, one of my favorite stories about one of my favorite characters. And uh, we're going to work through that together, and we're going to see what God reveals to us. So we're going to jump right into the book of Judges, chapter 6. Starting at verse 1, we're going to read a few verses and then we'll pray together. The Bible says this, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites... Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a single living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels, and they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you did not listen to me. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. It's been so plainly felt this morning, God. I pray that, that your spirit would would come upon would would you anoint every person in the room God that you would open our hearts that you would soften our hearts God that we would receive your word would you open our eyes to see as you see and let us hear your word and let us understand it God that that we are all anointed to 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 bring good news to those around us so help us to to receive so that we can pour out Help us to hear what you have to say to us. God, I pray that you would anoint this message, that that your voice would be heard in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, there's a lot going on right there um, in the opening of of chapter 6. We we see quite a few different things happening. um, And so before I start talking about that, I want to kind of introduce you to what the book of Judges is, just in case you don't know. Uh, so the book of Judges follows Joshua who was, um, he was given the leadership of, of Israel as they entered into the promised land. He had some elders with him. They were taught uh, by Moses. They were given the law. They go into the promised land. And so Joshua is, is teaching them. He's leading them. He's telling them what to do. And after Joshua passes away, after the elders that were with him begin to pass away, Israel finds themselves without a clear leadership. They find themselves without anybody telling them what to do and, and how to keep the rules of God. And so we enter into this period called Judges that goes all the way up until the establishment of the kings and the monarchy of Israel. So there's this long period of about 12 or so generations uh, where the Israelites are, are trying to figure out how to live their life. They're trying to you know, stay in line with what God says, and they they fall away from it, and then they come back to it, and so God would send judges who would call them into repentance and say, listen, this is where God wants us to be, and we're way back here, and he would would kind of push them along, so there's 12 major judges, uh, well, six major, six minor judges throughout the, sorry, Jesse, I know you, was on top of that. Uh, so so in Judges we see this over and over again. It's kind of a pattern where a judge would come, they would bring Israel back in line with God's word, and then uh, after a generation passes they kind of find themselves slipping back off. And so we're going to look at one of those judges uh, today. And one of the things that I love about the book of Judges is it fits so well with the chaos that we see in the world today. In, in the book of Judges it says that In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And it's not that they didn't have a king, because God is the the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and, and he was always present for them. But they would begin to move away, and they would quit seeing God as the king over their life. They would quit seeing God as the ruler who establishes the order of the world, and they would start to do whatever they wanted, wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted, with whoever they wanted to, and it would drag them away from God, and so we're we're living in a time today where America has no king, and everyone does as they see fit, and it's a scary thing, and if we want to learn from history if we if we want to avoid the mistakes that we see written over and over again we need to study what happens to Israel we need to see what happens when there is no king and everyone does whatever they want because we want to avoid the same mistakes so in verse 1 it says that Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of Midian so they're they're obviously straying away from God. They're they're the, the things that God finds good, they're not doing those things. But instead they're 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 sinning in the eyes of the Lord. They're they're living in such a way that it's not glorifying God, they're not paying tribute to God, they're not honoring God with their lives. And we see this point where for the next seven years, Midian is going to suffer because of their actions. God is going to uh, remove his blessing from their life. He's going to remove his hand of favor, and they're going to have to experience what it's like to not live under the grace of God. And so because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites had to prepare shelters in the mountains, in the clefts, in the caves. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern people would invade. And this is, this is important because they're trying to continue on with life. They're trying to plant crops over here. They're trying to raise livestock over here. They're trying to build their houses in a stronger place because they're trying to make it on their own, on their own with, without God. They're trying to find a way that they can keep surviving. Um, and everywhere they go, the Midianites follow up. Verse 4, it says that they would camp on the land and they would ruin the crops all the way to Gaza. They did not spare a single living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. And they came up with their livestock and their tents like a swarm of... They would cover the land, and that was all you could see, was their tents, their livestock, their people. They were uncountable, innumerable. There were so many of them that the Bible doesn't put a number to them. And Midian was this group of nomadic warriors, right? Like They were, they were a group of absolute brutes. So if you imagine Jeremy Baker and Jesse riding up on a camel and just jumping off and and just slapping you around and then taking all your food, that's kind of what it was like. Just these real brute men, absolute units, and they were out there riding around and there were so many of them that you couldn't even count their camels, much less the men that rode them. And they come, and wherever they go, they would set up camp, and it would cover the land like a plague of locusts, and they would spread out, and they would send out riders out, and wherever they found food, they would claim it, and they would drag it back to the camp. Wherever they found livestock, they'd take every single one, and they would drag it back to their camp. And once they had consumed everything in that region, they would pack up, and they would move down the road, and they would do it again. And they would just continuously move around, and so you might get a year where you didn't see them, but then the next year they would show up and they would consume every single thing that you had started to rebuild and work for. And, and they, would, they would impoverish and ravage the land to the point where Israel finally said, we can't do this anymore. They learned their lesson. They said, God, you, if you don't help us, we're never going to make it. And so they cry out to God and he sends them a prophet. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said. So God, he sends him a prophet. And the first thing he does is he speaks truth. And he rebukes the nation of Israel. And he says, listen, I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. Look at, what, look at what I have done for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptian. I was the one who delivered you from your oppressors. I was the one who drove out the people before you. I was the one who gave you their land. I said to you that I am the Lord your God. So God has done all these things. It's like He's He's listing the many miracles. He's, he's talking to them about the things that He's done for them. He's showing them His presence in their very life, in the life of their people. And He's saying, Here's the things that I've done. And all I said was that I want to be the god that you love and the god that you serve but you did not listen to me and so the only thing that he says about you in there is that we don't listen god is doing all of these things he's he's doing so many things for us he's making a way for us to be blessed and to have the land of promise and to to raise a family and and to be anointed and and we don't listen to what he says and so for 7 years there's an oppression on Israel. Seven is one of those numbers that we see over and over again. It's a, the number of completion. And so in, in, in the perfect timing, and in God's complete time, he responds to them with a truthful rebuke. And then he provides grace in the name of a man called Gideon. And so we're about to meet Gideon. Israel has struggled for seven years They've barely scraped by, they're depressed, they're worried, they're starving to death, they're living in a daggum cave, and Gideon shows up on the scene, and he's a regular old dude. Just a regular guy. Um, I don't know if you know the story of Gideon, but it's incredible because God shows up, and he starts to establish Gideon's identity, right? And so the whole story of Gideon is actually a story of identity. And so Gideon is just out here. He's trying to thresh some wheat in the wine press. He's trying to get a little food for his family. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, Gideon, you're about to save the nation, bro. Um, and oh, I paraphrase what the Lord said right then. I'm sorry, Clay. Uh, so, so the angel of the Lord shows up, and he's like, Gideon, I've got a purpose and a plan for you. You have an identity in me where you are going to be the, the perfect judge. You are going to be the one who shows up and you're going to rescue your nation out of the hands of Midian. I have chosen you. And it's, it's a story of Gideon coming to terms with his identity in the Lord. And so at first, Gideon is like, You got the wrong guy. Uh, Gideon says, I'm, I'm from a small family. I'm, I'm the, the worst person in my family. Uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. There's no way. And It's it's quite funny because the angel of the Lord doesn't care about where Gideon comes from. He doesn't care about Gideon's background. He doesn't care about Gideon's scholarship. He doesn't care about Gideon's ability to fight. But what he says to him is, don't worry. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And so Gideon takes off, and after he has this encounter with God, he builds an altar there, and he... Uh, praises the Lord. He's like, oh, I met, I met God right then. I might as well build an altar and praise God for it. And this is where we're going to take off um, and, and talk for a little bit about Gideon's transformation into his identity in, in, in the Lord, into his identity of what God had called him to be. And so Gideon says, God, if you're going to do this, if you're going to send me out here, if you're going to draw me into this, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Like, just tell me what to do. And so Gideon is willing to be obedient. He's willing to listen to God. And so that same night, verse 25, it says, The Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. I want you to cut down the Asherah pole beside of it. Then I want you to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this hut. Use the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, and I want you to offer the bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. And this is, (laughs) I find this to be so interesting because small towns talk. You know what I mean? Small towns talk. And, and sometimes we get worried, and Gideon is talking to God. He's talking to the angel of the Lord, and he's getting audible directions on what he's supposed to do, and the dude is afraid of what his family's going to think when he starts leaving for God. He's worried about what Manchester's going to think when he steps out and starts leaving for God. And so he goes at night, and he does what the, the, the angel tells him. He cuts down the altar. He cuts down the Asherah pole. He, he takes all that scrap wood from, from the altar of Baal, from the, from the false idols, from the false gods, and he, he uses that to build um, an altar to his God, and he offers up the cow, uh, the bull. And so everybody wakes up the next morning, and there's like this smoking cow laying out here being burned up, offered to the Lord, and they're like, somebody's got to pay for this. Somebody, somebody tore down my favorite TV channel. Somebody tore down the internet. Somebody tore down the cell phone towers. And and on top of that, there's a Bible laying there. And it's like this ain't what I signed up for. Somebody's gonna have to pay for ruining my vices and for taking away my idols. And they go up and they go talk to Gideon's dad. And they're like, Hey, we done some investigating. We was looking through the window seals last night, and we seen Gideon out there up to no good, tearing down my idols, tearing down my altars. And he, he lit him on fire, and uh, we want to kill him over it. <laughs> and so this is what Gideon was afraid of because he knew that when you start to get in the way of people and their vices and their false gods and their idols and the things that they worship and their favorite team and their favorite TV show and their favorite pastimes, when you get in the way of those things, they don't like it very much. And so Gideon's out there trying to follow where God is pointing him, and he knows for a fact that there's going to be repercussions from his townspeople, there's going to be repercussions from his family, and he's scared to death about it. So he does it in the middle of the night, and they find out anyway. But what we don't see is that in the meantime, Gideon's encounter with God started to change his identity with his family. He started taking his relationship with God seriously. He started being obedient to what God had told him to do. He started following in the footsteps that God had placed in front of him. And in doing so, his identity with his family started to transform and change. And they started to see... Bro, Gideon's taking this seriously. Gideon's offering up burnt offerings. Gideon's out here praying to God. Gideon is pursuing the Lord in a new way. This is something serious. This is the real deal. I can see in his life things are changing, and it starts to change how his family sees him. It starts to change the way his close friends see him, and they start to change along with him. And so they come to his defense, and they say, listen, Gideon probably did tear that down, but you're not Baal, so why don't you let Baal contend with him? If the God that that he tore down the altar is so upset about it, let that God come down and smite him. And so his dad comes to his defense and says, yeah, it was him, so be it. He tore down a false God's altar, let that God come contend with him. And so his family... That he was worried about what they were going to do because he was acting within the power of the Holy Spirit because he was acting um, on God's direction. It starts to transform not just himself but his family, and they come to defend him because Gideon's obedience started unlocking the power of the Spirit of the Lord within him. So all because he started to be obedient, he started to go after these false these false gods, these idols in his family. He was being obedient to what God said, and the power of the Spirit of the Lord started to unlock, and it started transforming all of these different things in his life. And Gideon, he didn't have to do it on his own. The Lord was with him. And it, it made it completely different from what he expected. It started to change all of these different things. And I wonder if we were to just honestly evaluate our own household. If if we encountered God in such a way that we turned to our house and said, I wonder what idols are over there. What is my father worshiping? What is my wife worshiping? What are my children worshiping? What do I have set up in my own house that I'm worshiping? And if we started to strip those things back under the power of the Holy Spirit and remove them, I wonder what it would do to our identity to our relationship with those around us, to to our communication with our parents, with our children, with our grandparents? How would we look different? How would our identity begin to change if we started to be like Gideon and go into our own home and tear down the idols that our very family holds dearly? So this is a story about Gideon saving a nation, but the first place that he starts is in his own household, right? Right? He's about to save the nation of Israel, but he can't until he removes the idols from his own life. And once he starts in that obedience, once the power of the Holy Spirit starts to work in his life, once he is being transformed, once he's working in that empowerment, we see something incredible happen. Verse 34 says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizorites to follow him. And, and there's, a, there's a Hebrew word there. I pulled that out of Clay's book, right? It's like labesh or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. But I was intrigued. I was intrigued when I seen it. Uh, it was interesting because when you see this word in the Hebrew Bible, every time except for this one when we're talking about Gideon. They're talking about me coming up to Justin and putting a robe over him, right? Like Justin would be Labesh with the robe. But here it's the opposite. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is being dressed in Gideon. And so instead of Gideon having an anointing poured over him, instead Gideon is obedient to God to the point where he wraps himself around the spirit of the Lord, and he rides on his back. And he says, where you're taking me, I'm going to go there. And so Gideon is so filled with the power of the spirit of the Lord that it's not the Lord over Gideon, but it's Gideon wrapped around the Lord, dressed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, where you're going to take me, I'm going to go. And he's directed to blow a trumpet, and I bet it was a beautiful pure note. And and everybody that hears it is like, "Hmm, something serious is going on over there. And he sends out some letters. The Bible says he sends out messages. So I imagine he's in his office and he's writing some postcards. And he's like, come over to Manasseh. we got an army. And he sends those things out. Uh, And so he blows a trumpet. He's being led by the Lord. He's, He's clothing the Lord in himself. He's allowing God to have full control of his life. He's allowing God to be the one who's directing him. And so through God, Gideon starts to find identity with his people. He it started in his home. It started with his family, with his close friends, and now through the power of the Spirit of the Lord, through being guided and directed, and being obedient to what God has called him to do, his identity with his very people starts to change, and they hear the trumpet blast. They get the the letter in the mail, and they're like, this guy over here, I can see that he is serious about what God has called him to do. I can see that he's working in the power of the Spirit of the Lord, and they say, let's go and help. And for some reason, 32,000 people show up. And I think if I went outside, and I put Clay on the corner of the roof, and I had him play a trumpet all night, I don't know if 32,000 people would show up. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. Clay's probably a great trumpet player. Uh, He can do everything else real well. It kind of makes me mad. Uh. (laughs) But 32,000 people showed up. And it's simply because when our identity is based on what God thinks about us, the entire world can see it. When we base ourselves, when we when we see ourselves the way that God does, when we build our identity around the things that God says about us and the things that God sees in us, when we start to put our purpose and our 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 person inside of what God says, it, it changes the way that the world sees us. And for some of us, that's a scary thing. Some of us that's a little bit scary. You know, there's there's nothing that's hidden in darkness that the light of the Lord can't can't reveal. And and some of us we've got that that hidden darkness in our heart that we kind of don't want exposed because it's a little shameful, it's a little painful. And and the truth is is once we start to, to, to give our obedience to God and we start to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, then then those things can be revealed, and in, in time they, they pass away, God casts them out of, out of our, our mind, out of his own mind, and, and we can start to change the way the world sees us. And so 32,000 people show up. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm for this. I'm, I'm 100% for this. We got 32,000. They're outnumbered probably 10, 12, 15 to 1. This is going to be a great battle. It's going to be awesome. 32,000 to an unnumber, like an unnumberable amount, like an uncountable amount of warriors, 32,000 to whatever, uh, that's going to be good. I'll pay to watch that, right? Like I'd go buy a movie ticket to see that battle. And then God shows up and the crazy thing happens is he goes, Hey, Gideon, it's a little too many. You've brought too many, bro. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? Are you serious, God? We got 32,000 that's a big number for me I don't even know if I can imagine 32,000 people in my mind and and there's they're uncountable and we got 32 and you're telling me that we've got too many and so God God is directing Gideon he, he's telling him what to do he says go up to them and tell them if they're a little bit afraid they can just go on home tell them if they're worried about it just go home and so the word goes around the camp that Gideon says listen if you're afraid If you're worried, if you're you're not 100% sure that we're going to fight and win, I want you to go home. And 22,000 people left. There's 10 now. There's 10,000. And I'm like, okay, okay, God, I see where you're going. 10,000 versus an uncountable amount. That's even better than 32,000. I like what I'm seeing. And then God says, well, it's still too many. It's like, bro, are you kidding me? 10,000? Is too many to fight an uncountable mob of, like, heathens. I just don't understand where you're going. But God doesn't want Israel to be able to boast on their own strength. God doesn't want Israel to be able to say, well, we def- every man on the field defeated 30 of the Midianites. Like, we did it. Like, God doesn't want them to be able to take credit for themselves because God is trying to highlight the fact that without him, they are going to be destroyed. Without him, their life is going to be without purpose, without uh, any kind of enjoyment, without any kind of guidance and direction, that, that without God in your life, you're living in a cave, you're scrounging around to find food, and the, the goodness that God has for you is being withheld. And so it's like, I, I understand God, There's there's too many of these guys out here, and and you're just trying to help us find our purpose in you. And so God tells Gideon to take them for a drink of water and to watch how they drink. And and I'm I'm fascinated because when they go to drink, God says, watch for the ones that lap like a dog. Right? And that's not something that that like that's not a real appealing way to drink is to laugh like a dog. But if you think about it, when <laughs> I've watched some slow-mo videos in my day on YouTube. I do spend too much time on YouTube. Uh, but dogs, if you watch it in slow motion, their tongue comes out of their mouth into the water. It forms a cup and then it throws it back into their mouth. It's incredible to watch. It's a natural <laughs> phenomenon, okay? Like the way that the tongue of a dog works is neat. But it, it comes out. It drops into the water, it cups, it throws water back. And so Gideon is out there and he's watching 10,000 men drink. And he's waiting for them to get a drink of water. And he's looking for the ones who crouch down. And they scoop the water and they bring it to their mouth. Because the other way to drink is to get down on all fours and to put your face into the water and to just suck it up, right? That's the other way to drink. If you're not going to drink with your hands, you have to put your face down in the water. And there was 300 men who lapped like a dog. And this is significant because the men who got down on all fours had to lay their shield aside, they had to lay their spear to the side, they had to completely make themselves vulnerable, face down to the ground, and they had to stare into the water as they drank. But the 300 were ready. They were on the lookout. They had their spear in their hand, they had their shield on their arm, and they would drink while they were watching for the enemy to come. And they were on the lookout as they brought water To their face, because God doesn't want us to be surrounded by 32,000 people who won't even pray or open their Bible. If you're gonna go to war and you're gonna fight, you need some people who never let their guard down. If I'm going through something serious and the enemy is coming to attack my house, I want to be able to call some warriors who are ready at the drop of a hat, who's got their spear in their hand and their shield on their arm, and even when they're on break, they're still watching to see what the enemy is about. And so 300 men, they're staying ready. They're staying ready. And and God wants us to put ourselves in a position where we can minister to the 32,000, where we can reveal God's presence in our life, where we can show who God is to the 32,000. But when it's time to go to war and it's time to fight, we've got the 300 at our back and they never put their spear down. They never let their Bible get dusty. They never get off of their knees when it's time to pray about something, and they pray with conviction, and they mean it. And so 300, Gideon goes, and they win. It's incredible. It's great. Like, the the enemy has a dream that a loaf of bread is rolling down a hill, and that represented the Israelites because they they were a a nation that had barley bread and and a loaf of bread was rolling down the hill and it crushes the camp and Gideon lines the the ridge of of the hill and they win they go down and they're so afraid in the Midianite camp that they start stabbing one another they start falling on their own swords and an uncountable number of men is defeated by 300 and it's a great story it's incredible it's almost unbelievable. <clears throat> and when we're operating within the power of the Holy Spirit, things like that are they're possible. Yeah. Things like that happen. When you've got some warriors at your side that's willing to pray at the drop of a hat, when your identity within your family, within your friends, within your community is starting to be defined by the way that you serve the Lord, There's nothing that God can't do for his people. But I I feel like it's easy to understand that when you look at the end of the story. When you realize that the Israelite nation is going to win with just 300 people being led by the Spirit of the Lord, it's easy to say, man, I'm glad Gideon went for that. But if we rewind back and we go back to verse 11. It says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah and that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. This is how we meet Gideon. I kind of skipped through it at the beginning. But I, I really want to make sure that we understand that Gideon was this dude who was trying to survive. He's down in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. Um, and I've got a picture here of a threshing floor. This is a modern day threshing floor. There's some roll up hay back there. But it's a wide open circle. And the, the wind would blow across the threshing floor. And as they would beat the heads of wheat together, the grain would fall to the ground because it was heavier, and the chaff that you don't want would be carried away by the wind, right? So that's how it worked. They would, they would beat the heads of wheat together. Sometimes they would put it in a sack and they would beat it with a stick, and then they would dump that sack out, and as the grain fell, the chaff would be blown away, and, and it was designed like that for a purpose because it made it so much easier to separate the good from the bad. So they wanted to do it out here on the threshing floor. But when we meet Gideon, he's in a completely different place. He's down in a wine press. It's a hole in the ground. He's down in a dirt hole where they would pour in the grapes and they would stomp on them. There's no wind blowing through there. That means that everything that he was doing, he would have to to remove the wheat from the head He would have to then hand-separate the chaff from the grain, and it was making his job so much harder. And this is significant because Gideon was so afraid that the Midianites were going to see him that he'd done a much harder job down in a much worse place so that he could stay hidden from the enemy because he didn't want them to see him. He was just trying to provide food for his family. He was doing the right thing. He was in the wrong place doing it and it was because he was operating without the spirit of the lord he was operating on his own will he was trying to do the thing that he knew to do and he was down in a dirt hole and this is the part that that blows my mind the most it says when the angel of the lord appeared to get in <laughs> he said the lord is with you mighty warrior this dude is in a hole He's beating wheat together in a dirt hole. And God shows up and says, I'm with you and you are a warrior. And he's so afraid that he won't beat two heads of wheat together out in the open grass. But he's hid himself in a dirt hole. And he can't believe what he hears. He can't believe what he's hearing when the angel shows up and starts talking to him. And Gideon's down in this hole. He's doing his best. He's got his head down. He's sweating. He's trying to provide food for his family. He's trying to fight against these circumstances that's come over his nation. He's worried that the Midianites are going to sweep in at any point. They're going to carry him off. They're going to carry his sisters off. They're going to take all of the food. They're going to take all the livestock, and they're just trying to scrape by and we know what that feels like trying to make it to the next day to the next paycheck trying to make it through Christmas and provide a few presents for our family trying to make it through the summertime when our kids ain't at school and we still got to work it's tough and he's down in this hole. And God calls him a mighty warrior and he can't believe what he hears. And he starts to say stuff like, pardon me, Lord, you got it all wrong. He says, excuse me, God, like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And, and, and he, he starts to talk to the angel of the Lord. And he says, bro, listen, out of all of the people in Manasseh, my family, my clan is the smallest, weakest one. Out of all of the people in my clan, I am the smallest, weakest one. Out of everybody that you could choose from, you've chosen the worst possible person. And he's afraid. He's not a fighter. He's a dude in a hole. And God shows up and says, I see in you a mighty warrior. And I want you to believe in your heart today that the word of the Lord will show you your true identity. That when the Lord shows up, when you get in your Bible, when you hear him speak and whisper into your heart, I promise you that God will reveal who you truly are. And you might not see yourself as a mighty warrior. Gideon didn't. And God had to work in Gideon's life. God had to reveal some things to him. Gideon had to start slowly moving in the direction that God was calling him. He, he said, okay, I've met God, I'm gonna build an altar here and I'm gonna worship him. And he started to take his relationship with God seriously. He went on to his family and he started to remove the false idols and the altars to the false gods in his own family's life and, and his identity began to transform. He went on to call his community together under the banner of the Lord. And they started to come. But when we first meet Gideon, he's in a hole. And he's threshing wheat in the hole. And the Lord shows up. And Gideon says, this ain't right. Like, you're you're not seeing what I see, God. You see, Gideon had his head down. And he was beating those heads of wheat together. And he says, the situation that I see, God, is hopeless. The situation that I see... Is pointless you see God you've got the wrong person I'm in a hole because I'm worthless I'm in a hole because I'm lonely I'm in a hole because I'm inadequate I'm a disappointment I'm weak I'm a failure you see God I'm in this hole because I'm too stupid I'm not smart enough I'm too poor I can't afford to do anything I'm a terrible husband I'm a terrible wife, and we start to put identities on ourselves that never belonged on our shoulders, and we start to weigh ourselves down, and we're in this hole, and we're trying to get by. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good mom. I'm weak. I'm a loser. I don't even know if I want to live anymore, much less come out of this hole and fight. We we start to see the, the things that we deal with, with lust, with greed, with gossip, with adultery, we start to see lies, we start to see the suffering that we've experienced in our own life, the things that have been done to us wrongly, the things that we've done wrong to others, it's, it's shame and we're in the hole and we see it in front of our eyes, the dirt is covered with these different identities that we wear, that we were never meant to put on. And it's like, God, how can I come out of this hole and do anything? How can I come over my addictions? How can I walk past my pride? How can I overcome all of these different disappointments and the sicknesses and the the death and the the failures? How do I climb out of this hole when I know that everything that I'm working for right now is going to be taken away from me when I climb out of here? Everything that I'm doing is going to be stripped away because the enemy is waiting for me to come out and as soon as they see me they're gonna ride me down and they're gonna strip everything away from me it's a loose lose and we're down there and we're like Gideon and we see the hole that we're in and God is standing right next to us and he sees the whole of it all we see the situation We see the circumstances, but God is looking at the conclusion. And it's easy when we step back away from Judges 6 and we see that Gideon wins in the end. We see that he should have got out of the hole. But we can't see the end. We don't see what God sees. We don't know what it's going to be like in the end. We see the weakness, the failure, the disappointment, we see the struggle, we see the hole that we're in, and we're trying to get by, and God sees a warrior doing a good thing in the wrong place, and and we can't, we can't listen to the lies that the enemy has told us. We can't put on the identity that's been whispered in our ear every time we make a bad decision. We have to listen to the one who created us. And when he shows up and he says, I'm going to be with you, and you are a mighty warrior, it's time to climb out of the hole. And it's time to see things along the path of God's purpose for your life. And so in here today, I'm, I'm about to close. I want us to pray with one another If you are in the hole this morning and you're trying to overcome these false identities that's been painted over top of you you're trying to overcome being the weakest clan in the land and the lowest one in your family you're trying to overcome the lies and the identity that god has not put on you but the enemy has then i want to pray for you this morning there's somebody next to you that would pray for you also that there is an identity in christ that is so much better than whatever you could possibly imagine for yourself, that you are actually a conqueror and an overcomer, that you are a mighty warrior regardless of the position that you're in right now. We're going to pray. And if you've never actually took the Lord seriously, you've never actually tried to pursue the things that God has for you, you've never even put your faith in Jesus. To, this is the morning to do it, that, that God is standing above the hole and he's looking at you work. And he says, I see something greater than you could ever imagine. So let's pray with one another this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for for standing over us and speaking truth into a place where there seems to be nothing but lies that that we live in a time God where there is no king and everyone seems to do as they see fit God but you have shown up in the completion of time in the fullness of time and you're speaking an identity over us that only you can see God I pray that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see ourselves the way that you see us that when you call us a mighty warrior God that we believe that you know best God, whatever the chains are that are wrapping up our our brothers and sisters, today is the day, God, that we want to come together as the 300. We want to be vigilant. We want to be ready for the, the works of the enemy so that we can stand in the gap and that we can seek you to make things change. That, God, whatever the issue is, whatever the mental battle is, whatever the emotional damage is, God, whatever the physical struggle is, God, we know that you are greater than all of it. That yours is the power and the glory. And that you have the power to move in a way that we've never experienced before. God, we trust you. We love you. We want to align our hearts with yours. We want to wrap ourselves around your presence. And we want to experience it all the time. So God, I pray that a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit would come this morning. that a a fresh falling of your power would settle in this place, that our hearts would be softened and that our minds would be open to realize that that you speak truth and that we've been hearing lies for so long that that it's time to to shut those things away, That, that your purifying light would burn away any darkness that's in our mind, in our hearts, in our families, in our community, God, but it would be your radiant love that shines brightest of all. God, I ask that you would meet us where we are, that you would take us the next step of our journey, that we would be willing to be obedient, to follow where you say to go, and to do what you say to do, God, and that everywhere we go, we tear down the idols and the the altars of the false gods, and we offer upon it a broken spirit and a contrite, repentant heart that you would not... Despise such an offering God that that we would give you ourselves realizing how broken we are that we would give you our hearts realizing that we've done wrong in your sight and that you seek to redeem repair and restore those things God that, that Paul said that when I am weak then I am strong that let us let us Know in our hearts that your grace is sufficient, that your power is made perfect in us when when we are weak. God, let it be enough. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that this, this will be a morning where we take the next step in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.